I was in eighth grade at the time that a friend invited me to go to a youth group trip. And we had a bunch of boys, eighth grade boys, who piled into a van, a nicely smelling van, I'm sure. And we piled into a van, and our youth leader took us to Locust Grove, Georgia, out in the middle of nowhere. And they took us to a cabin, and we unloaded the van, and we loaded our stuff into a cabin, and we were going to have a retreat there for one night and two days. And we arrived at about 10 o'clock at night, and they told us that the owner of the cabin, before we did anything, before we went to sleep that night, before we did anything at all, that the owner of the cabin was going to lead us on a nighttime hike in the middle of the woods in Locust Grove, Georgia, with all of the sounds that you hear in the middle of the woods in Locust Grove and pitch black, dark night, no moon, no stars, and overcast sky. And so we went on a hike in the middle of the night. And the leader told us, he said, now, boys, what I want you to do is just follow me. You know, just keep your eyes on me at all times. We're like, we can't see our hands in front of our face. How are we supposed to see you? And he said, well, just follow the guy in front of you. Stay in a single file line and follow the guy in front of you. I'm going to lead you on a hike, and we're probably going to be gone for about 45 minutes. We'll get back here and go to sleep and that sort of thing. And so the first 15 minutes of this hike was great. The guys, we were laughing, we were joking, we were telling jokes, we were having a good old time. It was fun. And about 15 minutes in, we started to come to the realization that the leader was becoming lost that the guy who was leading us out in the woods in Locust Grove, Georgia, which is, by the way, a pretty appropriate name. Anyway, as he was leading us, we were realizing that this guy didn't know where he was going. And we were supposed to make it back to the cabin. And so what was a fun, exciting, joke-filled time became a quiet walk in the middle of the woods as we probably thought about what the headlines would look like and how mad our parents would be at the church that we, uh, this youth retreat we were on. And so we kept walking and walking and walking, and it became more and more silent. and became more and more apparent that this guy had no earthly idea where we were going. We literally felt like we were walking in a circle. And so we kept at it for 15 more minutes, and he kept saying, just guys, just trust me. I can get it. I can get it. We'll find it. It's all good. Don't worry. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. But our faith was eroding. Our trust in him was quickly going away. And then all of a sudden, a couple of us who were in the middle of the pack started to realize something. That tree that's coming up right there, we, we already saw that tree. And that rock that's over there with that green moss on it, we've already passed that once before. And wait a minute, that log that had fallen in a storm, you know, and across our path, we've already hopped over that like three times. And we realized that this guy was leading us in a giant circle out in the middle of the woods in Locust Grove, Georgia, around his cabin, and he knew it the whole time. He was just having some fun with us eighth grade boys. And after a while, he fessed up to it, and I'm sure there was a great spiritual lesson that you can tell I've learned from that. And uh, we went back to the cabin, and he taught us about that, and we had a great time. But it was interesting. A number of years later, I was thinking about that story, and I was thinking about how God leads us and how we have to trust him, just like we were trusting that leader that night in the middle of the dark. Now, I realize some of you may have walked in here today. Maybe it's your first time in church. Maybe it's your... You know, you're new to this thing called Christianity. Maybe you're just trying it out. 
But maybe you walked in here and your life is a lot like it was that night in Locust Grove. It's dark and there are a lot of scary noises and you're starting to think in your mind of what's going to happen next. And maybe you've gotten to the point in your life where you just absolutely have no hope. And you may realize that you have no one leading your life. Or you may realize that, yes, you are a Christ follower and he is leading your life, but you feel like you're going around in circles. You feel like it's an endless cycle of just going around and where, God, please reveal to me where you're leading me. I think the nation of Israel probably felt that way. When after 430 years, the Bible tells us, they were released from captivity. They had been literally, I want you to get this, slaves in Egypt for 400 years. That's a lot of generations. And after 400 years, God does some things to release them from Egypt. And all of a sudden, this small nation that were once slaved are gathered together and they're like, we need to go back to our land. We need to go home. And, and God begins to lead them, Exodus says, but he leads them in a different route than they expected. Scholars tell us that the place that they were in Egypt to where they needed to go back to their homeland, there were at least two clear, safe, comfortable routes back home but God was leading them the long way home. Have you ever had to take a trip and you've taken the long way home? I did it every Thanksgiving. We lived in Orlando. My uh, grandparents lived in Tampa, and every Thanksgiving and sometimes during the year, we'd take that two-hour trek over, and we'd stay with my grandparents, and my dad would get in the car, and he'd start it up, and it'd be Thanksgiving, so there was no hurry to get home. And, and if you know that area of the country, there's this great awesome thing there called the interstate 75 to I-4 and we're home two hours baby and I'm back in my room playing but dad would take us the long way home he would do it for the scenery and he'd do it because he wanted to I don't know take his car out there and go the long way home or maybe he did it just to hear my sister and I complain in the back I kind of doubt that but anyway he took the long the long road home have you ever done that before taking the long road home but in this instance, with God and his chosen people, he was not doing it just to do it. He wasn't taking them on the longest way possible to get back to where they lived just to do it. He was doing it because he was sovereign and they were not. And that is a very difficult lesson for us to learn, isn't it? That God is the one who knows all, who is all, who can get us out of any situation, and he may lead us in a direction, and we may feel like we are going in circles, and it may feel like the darkness of night, or it may feel like the desert that the Israelites experienced, and all of a sudden, doubt begins to creep in our mind, doesn't it? Like, does he really know the way home? Does he really, does God really know what he's doing? Does he really understand that we have got to get there? And sometimes we do that in our lives. And we begin to doubt our leader. We begin to doubt the one who is telling us just to follow him, to keep our eyes on him. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of this story, and we're going to look at it today, God does something miraculous, and he comes through, and he delivers a nation from bondage and slavery. And if he can deliver a nation from that, he can work in your life and in mine. 
George Mueller said this, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. You might be in here today and you've got it all solved up here. Man, you know the solution to the thing that you need to be delivered from. You know the when, you know the where, you even know the how. But you know what? God is sovereign and you're not. God is sovereign and we're not. Before we dive in too much further, let's pray and ask for his blessing on our time this morning. God, thank you for your word. God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would help us in here today, wherever we came from, whatever religious background we came from, whatever burden we might have this morning. Father God, I pray that we would realize through the study of your word, God, that we need to be people who are not self-reliant. But God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would grow up people in this room who are completely and totally reliant upon you. Help us to understand today that your past performance in delivering your people is an indication of your future ability. And God, may we place our full trust in you, not just for salvation, but God, for those physical things that we need deliverance from. Convict us of sin. Help us to get out of situations. Help us to have the strength to say no when we need to say no, and yes when we need to say yes. And I pray that you would do that, and that you, Holy Spirit, would lead us into truth and wisdom and knowledge this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Exodus 13. We're going to be in Exodus 13 largely this morning. Um, I, I, I want to ask you a question. I, I don't know about you. It always bothered me growing up in church when I would hear a pastor say, just become a Christian, accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and everything in your life will be fine. <laughs> am, I, am I the only one that that didn't sit well with? And even as a kid, I, I recognized, not because I was skeptical, I hope not, but because I wasn't naive. I mean, I, I had Christian friends and watched how their lives were, they had turmoil, they had struggles, they had disappointments, they had failures. They had a lot of victories too, but they had failures. And, and so I, I never bought that lie, that once you become a Christian, once you become a Christ follower, that God promises you perfection. You know, there is nowhere in the Bible that God promises, I want you to get this, perfection on this side of heaven. His only perfection promise is in the place to come. And that we will one day, if we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, that we will one day be in perfect bodies, in a perfect place, with a perfect God in heaven one day. And that's his perfection promise. He makes no promises in God's word that we can have a perfect life here on earth and I think to say that is a lie. I think to say that or to, to lead someone to believe that is a lie. Life is not going to be perfect. And I think the Israelites probably realized that when they got out of slavery and they realized that God was leading them around in circles in the desert and that there were at least multiple routes back to their promised land. But we see in Exodus 12 and in 13, that the nation of uh, the Israel nation, the, the people of God, began to turn back to God, and they began to follow him in obedience. And so we, we see that they, they begin to do that. And so they may have felt like in this time that God was leading them into something that was unclear. And sometimes that's the way that it is, isn't it? Uh, it can be frustrating to follow God and do the right things 
but only to find out that it's just life isn't that easy. I mean, that's the stark reality. It's the stark reality to realize that I can go to Financial Peace University and get all of my financial affairs in order and do the right thing and give to God and tithe and realize at the end of the month, there's still not enough money. I mean, we have been in a series in our country of not just a short recession. We've been in a long-term recession. And I know that there are some of you in here that are like, I am tithing, I am doing what God's asked me to do, and it still just doesn't add up. Israel made the decision that they were going to turn back to God in Exodus 12 and 13 and that there would be no looking back, that come what may, whatever happened, that they were going to follow God Almighty. And then we come to Exodus 13, verses 17 through 18. Read with me here as the Israelites were released from captivity. Read this in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through Philistine, uh, the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Now, if you're part of the nation of Israel and you've been in captivity, you've been a slave for 400 years, it's probably inconceivable at that moment that you could even think that you would turn back and go back into that slavery, isn't it? Doesn't that seem inconceivable? Let's continue to read. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt and they armed themselves for battle. It was exactly what God thought that they would do, that they would immediately arm themselves for battle. Now, think with me logically through this. This is a group of people, a relatively small nation compared to others in the world at that time. They have been, get this, in captivity for 430 years. Do you think that this is a people that are prepared to battle? Do you think they have a war chest, an arsenal of weapons hidden somewhere? Do you think that they've thought through the military strategy to be able to overtake the armies of that day, particularly the Egyptian army? No. And you know what? God knew that. You know why? Because he's sovereign and they're not. He's sovereign and they're not. So God didn't just save. I want you to catch this this morning. God didn't save the Israelites from the hands of the Egyptians only. Yes, he does that, and we'll see that in a moment. But God saved the Israelites from their own hands. He protected them from themselves. And I don't know about you, but I need God's leading in my life because there are so many times that I need for God to protect me from me. We need that in our lives sometimes. And so our first point this morning is that God's promise of deliverance doesn't mean that everything will always be easy. God's promise of deliverance will come, but it doesn't mean that everything will always be easy. There will be struggles. There will be times when you are following in obedience, and it just doesn't work out because God never promises perfection now. He promises it later. He promises it when we get to heaven. I remember as like an eighth or ninth grader in my walk with God, learning about uh, uh, the Lord and, and learning about the things of God. And I remember thinking if what these pastors say that all you have to do is follow Jesus Christ and everything will be perfect, then why can't I make more than a C in algebra? I mean, come on, God, help me out here with this, you know? There are times when we lose faith and we lose hope and we reach out in the darkness or we reach out in the desert. And we grab that hand in front of us, and we don't know where we're going. 
but God is going to protect us. Having faith in him, uh, in him alone, and not in ourselves, and not in other people, and not in technology, and not in our stuff, and not in our money, but him and him alone, he will lead us to deliverance from whatever the situation is that you're facing today. God's promise of deliverance doesn't mean that everything will always be easy. God often delivers us from a life of sin. There may be things in your life that you're facing right now that have nothing to do. You're, you're not, you've not been the victim. You're facing something in your life that is absolutely keeping you captive. Do you know in this story, the picture of Israel in this story and the picture of their captivity is the fact that they are captive, they are slaves. Well, the picture of it in our life is that we're slaves to sin and that sin can do exactly what the Egyptians did to the Israelites. And it can cause us to be bound, absolutely bound, absolutely burdened into the slavery of sin. And some of you may be out there today, and your thing, your thing that you need to be delivered from is not a life circumstance, but maybe it's a lifestyle, a, a sin, something that keeps coming up. And you need to cry out to God. And it's the desert, and it looks foggy, and it looks hazy, and you don't know exactly what to do. Well, Moses gave the Israelites the what to do. Uh, on in chapter 14. Let's take a look at 14, verses 13 through 14. These people are wandering around in the desert. Let me paint this picture. The Philistine army is coming up and quickly against the Israelites, and here's what Moses said. By the way, the Israelites begin to, uh, they begin to groan, and they begin to complain, and they begin to question God, and we do that sometimes, don't we, in our circumstances? We groan, and we complain, and we gripe, and we begin to question God in our circumstances, and that's exactly what the nation of Israel did. They actually said to Moses, they voiced this, Moses, why don't we turn around and go back to Egypt? Let's go back into slavery. They got to that point, but we do that with our circumstances, don't we? We do that with our sin. God, I know you're leading me out of this, but I don't trust you enough to be able to pay the price that needs to be paid and do the whole series of things that need to be done to get out of that. And sometimes we lose faith with God. Moses answered the people when they complained, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, I want you to catch this, like my strobe light there. Anyway, you want to catch the, I want you to catch this. The Egyptians, don't miss this. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Some of you are facing obstacles and sin and circumstances that you think, it will always chase me. It will always come after me. Moses says, don't be afraid. Those people who are chasing after you, you'll never see them again. You'll never see him again. Take a look at the second verse here. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Last week, we talked about listening for God, sitting in the silence. Sometimes we just need to be still and to wait for God. Moses gives them three things that they need to do, and I think this is, these are three lessons that we can learn when we're facing difficult situations that we need to be delivered from. The first one is don't be afraid. Don't, don't fear. Moses says don't fear. And that's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? Because when the finances build up and when that relationship is entangled that you need to get out of or there's something that you need to move towards, sometimes fear creeps in, doesn't it? And Moses says, don't be afraid. I want you to do this. I want you to pause just for a moment. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think about 
a situation that you're facing where you need God to deliver you from right now. And I want you to ask yourself the question, what is it that I'm fearful of? And just write that down in your notes. What is it? What is it that I'm fearful of right now? And I want you to pray this prayer silently with me. Just pray this prayer. God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would remove that and you fill in the blank with whatever you wrote in this situation where I need to trust you for deliverance. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you, have you're gripped by fear. I've been there before. I understand what you're going through. But you know what? So did the nation of Israel. And God delivered them. The second thing that Moses says is stand firm. We can't trust God in the desert. We can't continue to wait on God when we think he should have already supplied deliverance or that he should have done it in a way that we thought was best. We can't continue to wait if we're sitting down spiritually. We've got to stand spiritually as we wait on God to deliver. We've got to be in a position of strength, of standing, and not on our own power, but on the power of God. Stand firm. And you know what? When Moses uttered those words, the nation of Israel knew exactly what Moses was talking about because what he was talking about is that we need to stand, and they needed to stand, and we today need to stand firm in terms of our obedience to him. What is he calling you to do? What is he calling you not to do? Stand firm on that. And the second thing is to stand firm on his promises. Stand firm on the obedience that he's called you to or his commands. And then stand firm on the promises of God. The position of spiritual waiting is not sitting. It's standing. So what is it that you're dealing with today that you need to stand up on? Is it a particular sin? Is it a particular lifestyle? Is it a particular relationship? Is it a particular financial thing that you need to stand firm on God's promises and say, I am going to stand up spiritually. I'm not going to be seated while I wait on God. I'm going to stand up ready for him to deliver. And then Moses gives a third thing, and that is his watch for God to deliver. We saw it in that pre-message bumper there. Look for the proof that God will deliver. I think sometimes God may even give us the answer for our area of deliverance, and because we're not paying attention, because we are not watching out for him, we miss it. We may miss that. We need to watch for him to deliver. Moses doesn't say that everything will be okay. He doesn't promise safety or comfort or protection he wraps up this encouragement to the nation of Israel by saying, watch for God to deliver. And that's what we need to do, church. We need to do it in our circumstances. We need to do it in our church. We need to do it with our facility that I'll tell you about in a few minutes. We need to watch for God to deliver. So my question for you this morning is, what are you waiting for God to deliver you from? And watch for him to deliver. I've asked Gloria Moss to come up and give us a word of encouragement. You know, we have different art forms that we have. We celebrate God's greatness through song. We do it through video. We even do it through an art wall here. We do it in so many ways. And a few years ago, I heard a spoken word piece, and it ministered to me in an amazing way. And so Gloria has crafted a spoken word piece that communicates the truth of our last point this morning, and that's this. God's promises of deliverance in the past is an indication of his future performance. And that is where we need to place our trust. God's promise of deliverance in the past means that he will be faithful to deliver 
in the future. And I've asked Miss Glory Moss, who's one of our faithful members, to give us a spoken word piece this morning on just that. This is the benefit of God's character. The exodus, miracles, salvation. The benefit of God's character. First, give honor. God, thank you for the spirit that dwells in us. To give his life a ransom for many. His name is Jesus. This spoken word piece we discuss start with the second book of Moses called Exodus. And it came to pass where Pharaoh had to let the people go that God led them not through the way of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, least pre-adventure, people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. The Jewish family of 70 multiplied rapidly, even though every day of their lives weren't so happily. Israel was birthed as a nation, birth pains an infant nation, in the end, redeemed a holy nation. In Luke chapter 9, verse 31, 2 Peter, verse 15, chapter 1, in the New Testament, Exodus speaks of physical death because death is only accomplished through death. Redemption is only accomplished through death. This embodies Exodus' theme of redemption, why Peter reminds us of our positions as Christians. Luke carefully documents Jesus' lifestyle changing conditions, moved chronologically of the one who lived to die for sin, remission. Hmm, isn't this mind-blowing to know this was written by Luke, a physician? Also in Revelations, the book of consumination, the divine program of redemption is brought to fruition and the holy name of God is vindicated before all creation. Matthew presents Jesus, King of Jews, long-awaited Messiah. The Lord prophesies the cross, 1210 of Zechariah. Christ followers, we have to stay prayed up consistently. The joy of the Lord is what makes our lives so happily. Even in his death, seeming defeat is turned to victory. Spoken by the God of hope, no fairy tale fantasy. His truth show consistency. His promises, no mystery. Christ in the beginning, predestined in God's history. To bring salvation and blessings to the world, God promises. Through Abraham, of who one man God focuses. Start to create a generation, began the process. Back over in the second part of the first book, Genesis. His genealogy. Baptism, message, miracles, how beautifully the promises of God unfold. Healing miracles, Matthew chapter 14, verse 14, all point to the same inescapable conclusion. Christ is king. It is no coincidence, future, present, or past tense. His actual work in the lives of mankind, call it evidence, that speaks to God reliability. Now I'm convinced how we can trust him in our lives. The heart began repentance. We can plant our feet rooted and grounded in our master's will. From he, the enemy, the thoughts who come to seek, destroy, and kill. We, the light of the world, a city that's set upon a hill, 
by the resurrection and message the king of Jews lived. Christ followers, I want you to listen closely, carefully to this. God used the story of Israel to show the benefit of God's character is real. The exodus, miracles, salvation, spoken by God from Genesis to Revelations. The gospel written by a Jew to Jews about a Jew, according to the New Testament book of Matthew. We can trust God to fulfill promises in the future. Why? Because he's been faithful fulfilling promises in the past. In this message, we started with a specific route. See the importance of Exodus and what it's all about. On your walk, in a trial, for a while, if you began to doubt, the Greek title means exit, departure, or going out. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon Egyptians. Other words, those who once had deaf ears has now begun to listen. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Sometimes the thorns in our side come to produce the roses. We go to the second part, which was the miracles. Behold, God told me to tell it to you like I was told. Through Christ, by the hands of God, we are a lump of clay being shaped and molded. To accept him in our lives, we became Christ's ultimate miracles. Three, God brings to pass the promise salvation. Son of man, birth, life, death on the cross gives us the inspiration. We can have the sure hope of heaven without the hesitation. We accept Christ our Lord and Savior. There is no condemnation. This is the benefit of God's character. The exodus, miracles, salvation. This is the benefit of God's character. Amen. Do you see the hand of God throughout history in that? It's not just the exodus. It's God's miracles. His past performance is an indicator of his future ability. It's the way that he used the prophets to foretell his coming and the things that are still to come. His past performance is an indicator of his future ability. If God can take care of those things, if he can do it in the way that he did it. He can deliver you from whatever you're facing today. Father, I thank you that you are a God of deliverance. God, and you receive splendor as we took a look a few weeks ago. You, you, you are shown for your beauty and for your glory in the beauty of creation itself. And God, help us to look for that. Help us to look for your splendor contained in creation. God, help us to look for your splendor when we consider the fact that you are a God of the covenant and that you make promises and you keep your promises. And as Gloria so best put it, God, I thank you so much 
that you are the God who is faithful and true. And God, your character is proven in what you've done in the past. Father God, in the strong name of Jesus, I pray that you would help people who are here today to be able to trust you for the future based on that. God, there may be people in here who don't know you as their personal Savior. And Father, I pray that they would put their faith and their trust in you because you are the God of creation and you're the God of the covenant and you're the God of perfect character. And just like you pulled a whole nation out of bondage, God, you can give us the promise and the hope of heaven if we will put our faith and our trust in you. God, I pray for those who are in here today who've never accepted you as their Savior. If you're in here today and you're just like I talked about, you're in that category of people. You're like, Todd, this is the first time I've been in church. It's the second time I've been in church. I've been to church a thousand times and I've never listened. I want to challenge you. Accept Jesus Christ as, as your personal Savior today. You know, God sent his son so that you would not have eternal life in hell. He sent his son as a redemption for you, for all mankind, so that you can have eternal life. And the, the word of God says, all you have to do is to ask him to be your savior, confess of your sins, and you will be saved. And so this morning, if you're in here and you've never made that choice, I'm going to pray a prayer just in the silence of this room with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, and maybe God has pointed you to that today. Maybe he's spoken something in your life today that points you to the faithfulness of his character. I'm just going to ask you and invite you to pray a prayer silently in your heart. It goes something like this. God, thank you for making me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Today, I accept you as my Savior. I confess of my sins. And today, I want to live for you. Help me to be able to not be afraid, to stand strong, and to put my faith and trust in you. If you're in here this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed and you prayed that prayer, I'm just going to simply ask you to raise your hand just so I can silently pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Amen. Any others this morning? Pray that prayer of salvation. Thank you. Any others this morning? Pray that prayer. God, I pray that we would be people who absolutely trust in you because of your past performance. God, thank you that you are the God of character, God, and that we receive the benefit of your character your faithfulness. God, may we reach out in the darkness and reach out in the desert and truly grab on to your shoulder and grab onto your hand. God, may you guide us. And God, may we claim the words of David when he wrote this, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. May we claim that in our lives. May we claim that in our church in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen.